It's time for a change. God offers His people a change that can only be described as spiritual awakening. Join Jackson First Baptist as we discover the path of spiritual awakening. We are walking together through a series of messages called The Awakening. We know this, that God has said to His people that if you will go through a series of agitations, if you will take the announcement and admit that there's things wrong in your life, I'm going to anoint you and I'm going to anoint those around you for a fresh fire from on heaven. Now look this way for a moment. Spiritual awakening cannot come to you in your present condition. I want you to hear that. Spiritual awakening cannot come to you. Everybody in this room, everybody watching online, it cannot come to you in your present condition. And here's why. You only have the capacity to receive so many things. Isn't it true? We have a mailbox at our house. It's not a gigantic mailbox. It's an average size mailbox. And there's only so much they can push in there. So I'd rather than push in the gifts and leave out the bills. Can I get an amen? And so you would as well. There's only so much that you can receive into your life. So if God is going to do something new and fresh, that might suggest there's some things inside of you that's got to come out, amen, so that God can put the new and the fresh inside of you. So you're going to have to walk through this with me today. You see, God desires with all of his heart to bring awakening to your life and to my life. You say, preacher, is it really significant for me? God does this in times of awakening. It often seems that those who seem insignificant play the greatest role in God's kingdom purposes. You say, Pastor, what do you, know, what do you mean? God uses the no-name to make them somebody that He can do great things in. I've never seen a time where that people are leaving God's work to other people. People are leaving God's work to preachers. They're leaving it to seminaries. They're leaving it to other people to do the work that God's called them to do. And because of that, we are in the spiritual condition we're in. But I want to tell you this, God wants to use you. I believe that with all my heart. God, for example, Billy Graham said it this way. He said that what, where would he be in his life, that great evangelist who's with the Lord now, he said, where would I have been if the little pastor in the little church who led me to the Lord would have said, my life's not significant. I'm going to tell you today that our country is in the mess that she's in because most churches have forgotten their responsibility that God's called us to do one thing. Now, here's the purpose that you should have for your life. Look on the screen. Your purpose and mine should be to please God. Is that your goal today? One, two, maybe three, maybe four, maybe some. I don't know yet. You're still trying to process, aren't you? When God brings awakening to a body of believers, that body of believers awaken to the reality that something has gotten in their life that's caused them to want to please themselves and maybe not God. You say, Pastor, how do I know if, if, I, if I really want to do this or not? Well, here's a question you can ask yourself. Notice this. Are we happier when God pleases us or when we please God? Are we happier when, when we please ourselves or when, to, when we are pleasing to God? I want to tell you that America has lost its moral compass because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has lost its purpose. We've been studying together back in history and how that the children of Israel before the church, God's people that would be moved aside and the church would come to be a centerpiece. We read in Malachi for three weeks together the agitation of the burden of his heart. He was 450-some years before the coming of Christ. It would have been B.C. 450 to 430. He ministered. And he said basically this, Israel, you need to repent. You've walked away from me, but I will return to you if you'll return to me. We talked about the beauty of repentance last week, did we not? 
and how beautiful it was in our lives that God intended for us to repent. If you were here on Wednesday night, if you were in this particular service, I talked about looking closer at the beauty of repentance. We said this, chapter 3, verse 16 of Malachi, there was a group of people in the midst of all those who were not obeying God who did. Their relationship was different with God and with other people and the rewards they had. And I want to tell you this today, if you will just live for God's purposes, if you'll just say, God, use me, listen to me. If you'll say it, just say it like this, count me in, God. God, if you'll count me in, Lord, because I believe that I am valuable to you, that I can make a difference in the world, that I can change people at my age. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too smart. You're not too dumb. You're not too rich. You're not too poor. You're not too in the middle. Jesus Christ can use you, but you must be willing to be used. See, in the days of Malachi, there was, a, there was another man who was alive. His name was Nehemiah. Say, Nehemiah with me. Look in chapter 1 and verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Achaia. Now it happened in the month of Chavez, in the twelfth year, excuse me, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shusha, the citadel, it was wintertime in the Jewish calendar, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Remember, last week we read together of how that all that was going on in, in the time of Malachi, what you don't understand is this, that, that the city of Jerusalem, the capital city, it'd be like Washington, D.C., was, was in shambles. It was a place where that they had a temple, but the temple had been destroyed. It had beautiful walls around the city that protected the people. They were down. You see, they had been gone out of the land for a long period of time. During the days of Daniel, if you remember Daniel and the lion's den, when Daniel was a little boy at 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came knocking with an army to Israel and destroyed the city. In 586 B.C., he came back again. He took Daniel and the young teenagers. And for 70 years, they lived in captivity. He left some of the people in the, in the country. He left the poorest of the poorest in the country. The rich, they were carried off. The brides were carried off. But God said, if you'll repent, I'll bring you back to the land. And I've got good news. God keeps his word. The Bible says that, that they brought them back at the end of 70 years, at the end of the book of Daniel. We find that God brings the Persians to the authority. Babylon's out of the way. And that God moved in the heart of the king that says, anybody that's an Israelite that wants to go home can go home. I don't want to tell you this, I never ever fly back into America that when they look at me there at the border patrol and they say, welcome home, I never say, nope, not me. I run across to look for Sherry and, and to look for you. See, some went back, but most did not go back. And there, there in, in Persia, in the capital city, there, there was these people that were called slaves. I don't know if you're a slave or not, or if you have any experience with that. But the Bible says one of them was by the name of Nehemiah. He was no one special. He had this position that God had favored him with. He was the cupbearer of the king. Literally, he was the butler. He was the assistant. No, no ordinary job. You had to be extremely intelligent because the king would ask you about everything. You had to be a handsome guy, educated guy. Now watch, a slave guy had become the number one assistant to the king of the nation. And the scripture says that it was in the wintertime of the year, and the Bible says there, there was this delegation that came from all places, Judea. What delegation? A delegation sent out by the king. The king had sent out this delegation and they had, they had returned. And what we discover is this, that Nehemiah 
asked this guy who led the delegation, who, by the way, was his biological brother. And the Scripture says, he said, I want to know about the condition of our people. And I want to know about the condition of the place, which leads me to look you eyeball to eyeball today and ask you this question, what do you want your life to count for? What do you want your life to count? What is the purpose of the church? You say, Pastor, I'm not getting this. Nehemiah, look at this, Nehemiah seemed insignificant until he said to God, count me in. This was his confession. His confession was that my life counts, that it's important. Never have I again have I seen a day in which that so many people come to church and leave it up to other people to do the work of revival. You see, we can't have enough preachers and enough ministers of worships to do the work that needs to be done in this city. To be needs to be done in your home and in your life. So today I'm going to challenge you from the life of Nehemiah that it is you, friend, that can make a difference. It is you that God is calling out of the ordinary. He is calling you on the carpet and he's saying to you that you must walk this journey because God wants to use you and he's going to use you. If you are willing, now watch, but you've got to change some things. You've got to come out of, the, you have a capacity for so many things. So some things are going to have to go off the agenda and off the plate for you to be used in the way that God wants you to be used. Now, if that's not you today, just kind of sit back and put your hand back and say, no more work that I need to do. I wouldn't want to be in that way. I wouldn't trade shoes with you. But if that's you, I still love you. God still loves you, but you're going to get run over. You're going to get run over and crushed in this world. So today we look at Nehemiah. Here he was. He was concerned about the people. He was concerned about the place. You say, why was he concerned? Because listen to this. Look, look this way for a moment. When the temple was down in Israel, they had nowhere to worship. And if they had nowhere to worship, that meant that the people around them would say, what kind of God they've got. He's dead. Not only that, if the walls were down, they were saying this. There's no protection for those people. Now look with me at our day. Why do you think that COVID came? Why do you think that they tried to shut the church down? Simply because of this. So that while we were down, the world would say there's no need for them. But we wouldn't let that happen here. I want to tell you something, friend. They just did a recent survey that during the time of COVID, they gave the top 10 things that people relied on. And do you know the church didn't even make the list? That marijuana was on the list, but the church wasn't on the list. Can I tell you, at my house, it was on the list. Because the walls are, listen to me, not only do we have a place to worship and it's important, but we have walls. Now, the walls that you build for your life, if you're not careful, will keep you for what you need to do. America has, has now endured a church that's taken down the walls, what I call the Word of God. It is the Word of God that we need to hold high. It is the Word of God which is our shield and our sword. And what has happened, we have, we have endured the watering down, the giving up, the going away from, the trending down away from the Word of God, but not here. And not in other churches that are experiencing spiritual awakening. We have heightened our intensity in God's Word because we say this, count us in God. One preacher put it this way, the last two generations of leaders have done this to the church. They've, they've given them marshmallows for swords, and they've told them to go to the world. Friend, we have the Word of God as our sword, and we are going to the world with you. But you've got to choose. There are three things that I see in Nehemiah's life. One is this, his confession led him to be concerned about what was happening in his world. He was concerned about the people. He said, how, how are the people there in Jerusalem? Look what the Bible says there in verse 3. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived there, listen to me, they, they are in exile, are in great 
trouble. Say those words with me, great trouble. Have you looked around our community lately and seen the trouble that's in our community? Have you noticed the things that are taking place in our city? I think some of you may have not. Some of you, and I said it in the first service, not as many in this will apply to as it did in the first. Some of you are so foolish to think that you can figure out what's going on around you by watching the media. When I was a boy, they had media not 24 hours a day. You got the news either at 6.30 or 7. There was a moral compass in our country, and the news media knew they had to meet it. If they lied, they'd be without a job the very next day. It would be proven they'd be without a job. But today, we've got 24 hours news network. Why do you think they're there? They're there to generate income. That's what they're there for. And so what you get each hour is about two minutes of news, and then they say this, breaking news, and then after that, we've got a panel that's coming forward. This panel now, here's what they're going to be made up of. It's going to be the announcer who's already set his agenda. Then there's going to be two people that are for him, and they've got one little idiot who is a mealy-mouthed person who that's on for the other side that they're already going to castigate before they start. And so you sit there and think you're going to get your wisdom from them. Whether you listen to CNN or Fox or whatever, or you, I love those of you that are conspiracy theorists in this room, you know that the world's coming to an end because three people are bigger than God. And so your life's all miserable. But listen to me, you know what we do? We go to God's Word, and we go before God in prayer and pleading. We go into the city itself and look. When you go into the places, you realize this, that America is in a mess because we have turned over the leadership of the moral compass to people who have no moral compass. We have turned it over to political leaders who have not the agenda of God and not the agenda to care about you. They care. They do anything to get the vote. We trusted some people did in the stimulus. Can I ask a foolish question? Who's going to pay it? Who's going to pay it? We, we, we have now with children, we send them off other places for, for education. Do you know that, that now that there are more kids who are on medication than at any time in the history of our world? Do you know now that, that daycare centers, we give them away all day long, we come home at night, turn them over to the media, and we wonder why our kids are in the position that they're in? We go to church once every in a while. We go to places where we want the preacher to wear the skinny jeans to tell the best stories. We, and I, I just won't fit in the skinny jeans, I want to tell you that. And we've we've turned the church over to people who are playing instead of praying. And because of that today, our streets are no longer safe. There's darkness. And do you realize that people in our city on any average night now will hear gunfire in our city? There's murders that are regular in our city. And there's not a week goes by that someone is not sexually abused and mentally disturbed and hurt and broken in our own city. And we sit here and we wonder why that's happening. It's because of this. People have failed to be concerned about people. Nehemiah was concerned, write it down, he was concerned about people. Listen to what it says in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wrote my congressman. I sat down and sent a scathing Facebook post about why I was at the Mexican restaurant and my food was overdone. I wrote that we got three more dogs in the house and these dogs are making a difference in the world. Nothing against dogs. No, he said, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, you're in a church that cares enough about people to do something about where people are. 
to do something about where people are, you've got to engage them where they are. You've got to come out behind the walls. You have to quit hypothetically thinking about that people really don't care. You've got to quit hypothetically thinking nobody wants to hear. Because I'm telling you this, I hardly ever meet anybody that if I'll give them a smile and a kind word, that they don't at least for a moment get in shock. And then they begin to ask you and help. Friend, let me tell you, you are in a church where we care about people all over the city. Your staff, you may not realize, it works on the average of 80 to 90 hours a week. We do this every week because of the honor of doing it. But I'm going to tell you this, if we're going to reach this city, you're going to have to care about people. I have no more energy left. Do you understand that? For seven and a half years, if I make it to March, and you don't wise up and fire me because you found out who I am, I'll start my eighth year, and for seven and a half years, you've done this. You've said to me every time, preacher, we love you. You go storm the gates of hell. We'll fund it, and you've done it. But dear friend, let me tell you, we're at the place now. You can't just send me and a few others to fund it and go. we got to have you because there are more of them than they are of us, and we're losing the battle because many of us have lost our care. Nehemiah was broken. And he was broken enough to say, I can do something. And he was concerned. He was not only concerned about the people, he was concerned about the place where they live. Can I tell you, I'm concerned about the land of the free. I'm concerned when you can't go out at night in your community. I'm concerned about how the things are just falling apart. Natural disasters are no accident with God. I'm concerned how the people will let their church go to pot and let it do what it does on its own without their care. I'm concerned about when people will let kids get on a bus and not care about them until late in the night. I'm concerned about the place in our city where the kids have to hide out in their home and play their video games because there's no place for them to go. But you and I are saying, we do this, we kind of close our eyes to it, don't we? I'll give you an example. On Friday, I, I saw that it was going to be really warm on Friday. Wasn't that cool? I had kind of a little bit of a suntan because I, I studied real hard Friday morning, got out in the yard early Friday afternoon, then we were going to go help a family in the church after that with something in their yard. But I, I, for three hours, I worked in my yard. Hadn't been there since before Christmas. My legs are so sore because I got down right here. But as I was working, here's what I realized. In these last three months, there have been storm after storm after storm. Limbs falling, trees falling. I tell you what, we have, have enough, um, what are they, pine cones. If, if I tried to call Hobby Lobby to see if they wanted me. I was picking up I, probably my fourth or fifth wheelbarrow full, and all of a sudden it hit me. That's our city. While I've been busy going to church, doing activity, writing books, studying, preaching, ministering, all over my city, the storms have been breaking them down one piece at a time. You see, friend, God needs you not to be about you. Because here is what happens when we don't care about the place. The place reflects the people. And today, have you ever seen a time in our area when there's been more fences put around homes? Have you ever seen a time that when people anymore that when, as soon as they come home they don't eat, they, they barely get their car in the garage till they already put down what they put down the garage door? They don't want to be around each other and they don't want to care for each other. They'd rather get behind the closed doors because they've lost their listen to me their compassion. Nehemiah's confession also let him do something. He comprehended what was going on. 
See, there's one thing to sense it. There's one thing to be concerned about. I can be concerned about a lot of things, but I can only do a few things. But if I'm concerned and you're concerned and we, we, we get a comprehension about it, we can change things. Look what he said in the text in verse, in verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, notice this, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. I love this. He says you're the Lord of heaven. Before, and I want you to look this way, before when Israel became a nation, God walked with them, remember, out of Egypt as a pillar of a cloud by day and a fire by night. They come in Exodus 19 to the very place where God would give them the commandments, and he would say, I want you to make a tabernacle and a temple. He would go into the Holy of Holies. But now, for the first time in Scripture, he's called the Lord of heaven, which tells us this. God is now in heaven, and if he is in heaven and we relate to him, we must now be his hands and feet. You do know that. When some young mother prays that somebody would come and take the place of her, her husband who was not a husband, who impregnated her and left her and cared nothing for her, and she's working two jobs, when she's praying to God for, for from help from heaven, Bobby Drake is the answer. And he is. That man in his life. When God, God hears from heaven, when someone is being sexually abused, we, the church, are the answer. When a marriage is in disarray and that young child is praying that mom and dad would get help from somewhere and they don't know who God is, they cry out. Churches that care and churches that understand and comprehend get out of their comfort zone and they do something about it. And this was Nehemiah. He began to pray for four months. God, what should we do? Now, Now, notice this comprehension in verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. Yes, I can confess the sins of the government, can't you? But who voted them in? Who said nothing? Notice this, which we have sinned against you. It's we, Lord, not they. It is your deal. It is your watch. It is my watch. This country is in its It's me, Lord. No one else. It's me, Lord. We have to do better with the talents that we have. But the problem is this. A true Christian, does. here's the good thing. A true Christian grows in prayer when they see the carnage. That's why we're fasting. Prayer means are breaking out all over this church. But here's the great problem. A complacent Christian is easily disconnected from the truth when they fail to see the carnage in the world. For four months, he prayed. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. Let me ask you. If God said to you, I'll give you anything you want, what would you really ask for? So we're going to, in our groups this week, what's the one thing? We were asked this in a meeting with our staff on Thursday night. The staff and their wives were here for a meeting with a person, and the person said, if there was one thing that you could add... If there was one thing you could add to your church that you would say would make the difference, what would it be? Can I tell you this? Nobody said they'd be a better preacher, a minister of worship. Nobody said more money. We all to a person said one thing. We need spiritual awakening. If you can pray for me, pray that I'd get so spiritually awake that there'd be nothing left of me and it would all be Jesus. This city needs a church and a community filled with believers who have been awakened by God. 
who are not complacent. You're going to go out here, and some of you did it last night. You ate somewhere and never even mentioned to anybody at the table about their soul. Some of you worked all week long. Some of you have driven by years by people, and you've never once stopped and considered their soul. And God is calling us just like Nehemiah to weep and pray, and he did, and he asked God to forgive him. And so, I, is I remember what I said to you at the beginning? I love you. This is not preaching, it seems like, for people who love people. But it really is. And here's why. Because if God's going to count you in, you've got to be in. Lastly and finally with this, we're coming down to it. Not only did we, was he concerned, and not only did he comprehend, listen to me, here was a man who became courageous. In chapter 2 and verse 1, in the month of Nisan, that's four months later, and the 20th year of this king, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had been seen, been, never been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Now, you may not get this, but you know what this guy was doing? Nehemiah was placing his life on the line. He said, what do you mean? If you were sad in the presence of the king, it could be bad. You could lose your life. I wonder, I may ask you this. Have you put your life on the line? Are the people in this city worth it? The people that provide water for you, they've invested in you. Don't you owe it to invest in their soul? The people who gave you the electricity that you had comfort with last night and that we have here in this house today and watching online, is it not enough that you should invest in them? Nehemiah said, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? And after four months, he could take it no longer. And he opened his mouth and he spoke. And notice what the scripture says. This is amazing. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. You see, when God counts you in, you're in such communication with him that he prepares you. Now watch this. Nehemiah trusted in God's plan to rescue his people. He just said, I, I, I just trust it. You see, you, you may not realize this this, this. this guy was not here by chance. God had put him there. But not only that, God had put this king here. Because if you read a little book called Esther, which we read just before Chris came to be our student pastor. The book of Esther says nothing about God, even though God's always in it. There's this little slave girl by the name of Esther, who that the king gets all cranked up at his wife, Queen Vashta, and throws her out because she won't dance naked before his entourage. And some crazy guy said, so let's just choose, choose all this country, find the best looking woman in there is, and you marry her. And lo and behold, if God did not put Esther there, and Esther became the queen, now watch this, Esther, a Jewish believer in God, God would position her with this king, by the way, who had a son, Artaxerxes. And you say, what do you mean? He had a son already by the first wife. So she began investing in him. And by the way, the, the stepson she had and invested in is the king that Nehemiah is speaking to. Not by chance. You are born not by chance. 
And if you'll just look to the God of heaven, God, what do I need to change? Today I'm not asking you to sign up for anything today. I'm asking you to come to repentance. Because there's no capacity to do what you want to do until you unload what you already are doing. Because if what we are doing is spiritual awakening, there's no need to add anything else to our agenda. I'm as busy enough as it is. I'm gray-haired enough as it is. I'm tired enough as it is. And so if, if, I, if all that I need to do is what I'm doing, let's just have at it. But one man said this, if you do the same thing and want different results, you must be a fool. And so I'm telling you today that God wants us to do something else. Nehemiah said to him after he prayed, I know what I need to do to send me with all these things there and I'll rebuild that city. And 52 days after he started, what 100 years they could not do was done in 52 days. So here's the deal. A true awakening believer, as it comes on the screen, now watch this becomes the spark for others. He goes to the city, and for three days he says nothing. He views the carnage, and he gathers the leaders together, and he says, God put this in my heart. Let's arise and build. And you know what they said? Let's do it. But you see, it comes back down to one thing. What you're about. If a guy who is a slave in Persia could go and rebuild the walls around the city and see a measure of revival, I have no excuse. I just have to repent and make room and give Him all the room so that He can, through me and you, for the glory of Jesus, Change this world. So, so here's your just one takeaway. I'm, it's, your, it's your confession. Here it is. Here it is. All you need to do is join the awakening movement. Oh, that's all you need to do. Thank you for taking the time to find God's answers to life's greatest issues. We hope that you would reach out to us at info at jacksonfbc.com with your questions and check out more of our ministries at jacksonfbc.com.